So a couple weeks ago, we were texting each other, and I, I don't remember what the context We talk and text exactly. more than people know. We talk and text way more than people know. Uh, and and I think you had apologized for something. You must have done something just horrible. I, I can't remember what it was. And I had texted you back and said, oh, you're fine. No worries. And then all of a sudden, you just went on this tirade about that phrase, oh, you're fine. And you said, we have to do an entire podcast episode about that phrase, oh, you're fine, and why people are obsessed with that and i don't know if that's a midwestern thing maybe you know we're in minnesota maybe that's just something us midwesterners say but you're more traveled than i am maybe people say it all over but i want to know why you think that phrase justifies an entire episode of our podcast okay right so here's the backstory to this okay so um i don't know if this is a humble brag or just like a pure flex but i was i was in hawaii i was in hawaii a few weeks ago or now it's been i guess a, a, a month or so ago so i noticed like in Hawaii in, in on Kauai we were that I would be in the grocery store and I, this is not just there this is everywhere but it I really I really heard it again um, and it just kind of jumped out to me while I, w- I was on vacation so you know you'd be in the store or something and you would run into somebody or you'd kind of cut them off or you know you you would just have one of those social interactions where um, yeah, you, 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 there was just reason to apologize. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, excuse me. You know, like, it, 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 in, in just a kind of common cultural courtesy of that. But the response now is, and you did this on your, your, your text, the response is to say, uh, no, there's this kind of response of, oh, you're fine. You're, you're, you're totally fine. Um, and I don't know, it just, it, it started to snag with me why people are saying, why the response, if I accidentally like am bending over and then backing up at the grocery store and I run into you, oh, oh I'm sorry, oh, you're, you're fine or whatever. Why, why, why the you're fine? And I'm not sure. I mean, what would we have said 10 years ago? Uh, no worries. So you don't, wait, wait. I want to back up. You don't think people were saying that like in the 80s? I feel like I've been saying that my entire life. You're but. fine? I don't think so. Maybe I, have, maybe I haven't. I just I, haven't I even don't think so. I, don't, I think we would have said no worries or that's okay. Um, uh, n- not a problem. I think we would have been like, that's not, not a problem. Uh, but but you're, your fine is like. But is your new. fine is weird. And your fine, and it's, it's with the tone of voice too. And I wonder if it is a little bit like I am out in the world and my life is in some sense broadcast or I'm, I'm living in a way that my life is broadcast. And when I say you're fine, it means it doesn't, I wonder if it means this. I feel like it means this is that you're fine. This isn't triggering a kind of outrage in me that I'm going to go on social media and say this bleepity bleep at the, at the, the supermarket. Like there's a deeper level when you say you're fine, that I am, that you are in the midst of an evaluative show about your behavior. You know, like, um, it, it's not even, it's not even like a, a moral assertion. It's again, a, like this, this is going to be a theme on this podcast, but it's a performative one. Like you, you have not done something that will become like the the object of outrage for me to broadcast myself. You're fine. You don't deserve to feel like social shame for that. It's 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 an interesting dynamic. You're 
fine has this kind of I don't know this kind of sense of, of of the performative linked with it where no worries or it's not a problem um feels different to me I don't know if I'm I'm just nuts but there there just seems to be this sense of how how performance plays within it and that um and that I'm I'm in the world and I'm evaluating I mean I guess this is this is kind of Retzvik's point about in a society of singularities where the highest drive is to be singular which we've talked about in this this podcast we're forced at all turns and at all times to be evaluating everything and in some sense ranking everything like mm, I like this I don't like this that's good that's not good that behavior is fine this behavior is totally totally um annoying and I have and, and it, it makes me so angry it's, it's not okay it's not okay that that behavior it's it's not okay and I don't know it, it has such a referent to the the self that I don't feel like it's a response I don't feel like it's a response of two people who are inhabiting a social context in place and are I don't know like have this kind of contractual agreement where oh I, we don't run into each other I'm sorry I've run into each other oh um, I, I give you mercy. I forgive you. Like there isn't this kind of sense of like, merci. Like here's a sense of, um, you know, like I, I thank you for uh, your apology that we've entered into a kind of interaction of social violation and forgiveness. I feel like we've entered into this kind of reality of, 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 of valorization, of evaluation next to like my pursuit of, of singularity or performance or something like that. Maybe I'm just old man get off my lawn. Well, you you are, but you're fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh no. But uh, put a pin in that for a second. I want to go back to was it Rexvic and singularities cuz we actually yeah. I don't think have talked about that on the podcast. Really? I want to. I want to hear more. Uh, maybe we have. I mean, I edit these, and maybe I just forgot it. But I, I want to hear more. So, like, what what is that? Yeah, you know. So Anders Retzvix is uh, another, you know, uh, German social theorist or German philosopher that, unfortunately or fortunately, I I uh, love uh, deeply. But Retzvix has written this really. Uh, Really important book, I think, called "The Society of Singularities." And he's and is he a he's a he's a current philosopher? Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a okay. living dude. He's yeah, he's okay. He's probably in his early forties, maybe maybe late forties. Maybe he's about my age. Did I just out myself as being late forties? Um, but uh, yeah, he's uh, so his I think his most important book, personally, I think it is the the Society of Singularities, which is his whole point is that whether it's I don't know like architecture or whether it's a political campaign or I mean I guess maybe maybe a way to say it is whether it's a political campaign or whether it's uh, the the uh, public transportation or it's a coffee shop or whatever it is there's this drive whether it's yourself ultimately is there's this drive towards being singular that what is singular, what is uniquely singular is what wins in our kind of cultural context. So there's this kind of moral pull um, to always be associating with singular things, to um, see yourself as somewhat singular, to be kind of pushed towards this sense of singularity. And that's where he gets to this idea that everything then needs to be kind of evaluated in relation to that, you know, in that you 
form your own kind of singularity as you associate with different things you know like like the house you live in the kind of car you drive the kind of vacations you have and so he thinks this like recreates the middle class in some sense where the middle class becomes more of a cultured class than ever before like you know when you watch Downton Abbey or whatever in uh you know the the uh the the, the kind of elite aristocrats are uh, a cultured class um the aristocracy is utterly a cultured class. He thinks that this is now filtered down into the middle class and that the middle class becomes a very cultured class where we are really evaluating each other on, and, and we have a kind of drive to do singular things, you know, like people in your neighborhood who eat at, you know, like, isn't there kind of like some kind of shame? Like you, you, you go on vacation and you don't tell people you eat at Applebee's, you know, like that's dumb. What you tell people is like, we found this really great, you know, Mexican restaurant that is one of a kind that no one goes to that we, we Only yelped. the locals know about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we yelped it and you can't get these tacos anywhere. The the queso at this place is unbelievable. Like, you know, like they're the only I don't know, like it feels like only if you're not from the West Coast and you go to the West Coast and you eat in and out that that's okay. You know what I mean? Because that is in a, in a sense has its own draw of singularity. Like it's a singular fast food burger you could only get if you live on the west coast or you know in Arizona or Texas or whatever but you can't get it anywhere else so therefore it's not the same as going to Wendy's um you know like there's no singularity in in Wendy's um and you know let's just be honest the burgers are way better at In-N-Out than than at Wendy's but you see the, the the kind of point here and so you know the kind of vacations you go to you're not you know like we we all take our kids to Disney and things like that but they're there is a little bit of um, you even need to do that in a kind of singular way, like where you stay and if you have the fast passes. And, you know, you just don't want to be one of the regular stupid people who does all the stupid things. And so, you know, that's the I, point. I think the kids would call that being basic, maybe. Is that, is that the absolutely. same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that this becomes a real deep moral drive is that you do not want to be basic. You would rather be extra than be basic. I don't even know if the kids are talking like that anymore. But you'd much rather be known as being extra. like um, Because extra moves you towards singularity, even if you happen to be kind of freaking annoying um, in your extra exuberance and your, 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 you know, your extra energy. Uh, at, the le- at least you're kind of starting to tip your toe, if not fully jumped into a, a kind of state of singularity. So it's way worse to be basic. You know what I mean? It's, it's absolutely worse to be basic. So I guess that that goes back to our me in the grocery store and you know let's let's make this consu- let's make this super meta here I am in Kauai in Princeville a a, a very unique singular vacation at an Airbnb You're not at Waikiki you're not at Waikiki Hilton you are at the yeah right, right. even though to be honest I love the the Hawaiian Hilton Waikiki I'd go there any day of the week but that's because I'm lame but you know like I'm at an Airbnb, which is a whole other phenomenon in Airbnbs. I mean, why we all love Airbnbs is partly because it's kind of cheaper if you have a family and it's easier. But also, like in what Airbnb sells, is it's singular. It's a singular, unique place. So if you can use that app well and you can perform it well, you can go to really cool places. You're not just at some freaking Holiday Inn, man. You're just not at some Hampton Inn, which I really love Hampton Inns too. But, um, you know, but I, I, I'm a child of the 90s. You know, so. We'll take uh, either sponsors, by the way. Holiday Inn, Hampton Inn. If you guys want to sponsor us, we'd love it. But we, yeah. we, we, we would take it in a second. It's, I, we would just do it for 
for uh, Hilton points. That's all. That's all, all we want. So then um, we could go to Waikiki. Yeah. Yes, that's that's right. But you know, like that's the that's the real pull. So here I am up in Princeville in Kauai, um, and um, in a grocery store that's overpriced. It's singular. It's it's not a chain. It's not like you know. It's there. There's a Ralph, a Ralph's, which if you had to live in California to know that Ralph's is a big, a big supermarket brand. But there's one of those down, down the beach. But we're up, up in the northern part, and there's only like Princeville grocery store, man. It's like one of a kind. So we have all these kind of unique singularity seekers in this grocery store, and the response is when I do something, is your fine which again i think is this blending of both this drive towards singularity you're you're fine you're not like one of those freaking regular dopes um who just doesn't understand what's going on and you're fine i don't feel any need to to broadcast my disdain for you like you're you're you're, you're fine you're 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 fine and it, it, it i guess what i what what sets me off about it is it's said with a kind of proclamation. You know what I mean? It's said with a kind of proclamation of, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, you're, you're coming from a place of authority. Like, like yeah, you were the authority, one giving kind of them the authority that you're, yeah. It's coming fully through the spirit of evaluation, not of like mutual human beings who run into each other, who could potentially even hurt each other. Like I could run over to your foot or who have broke a, social norm it's not like i feel like that's what we used to say when we'd say uh i'm sorry oh i'm sorry no problem which is that no problem was in the logic of like i'm going to forgive the breaking of this social contract and part of what holds our social contract is i continue to forgive we continue to forgive each other or look past or give some kind of level of mercy to anyone who cuz cuz when you say that. no problem you're saying that there are no circumstances that are negative when i say you're fine i am evaluating you as a person by like saying you're fine yes that's it when you say okay, no problem you. you say i do not find this a moral violation for the social contract that like, we're like like it is not hurting me at all there, there's nothing there's no no problem but when i say you're fine i am judging you and saying you you are fine. Yes, that's exactly it. Said better than I could say it. That it it yes, that's exactly it. That that I am saying I now have the right because you've entered into this point of forgiveness of saying your person, your person, you're fine. You're you're not you're not you're not a terrible person. You're not worth you're not worth somebody with with me like thrusting hate on. Um and I feel like it's a it's a kind of assertion outside of the social fabric that we're that we're living in. So here's a question I have that's really fascinating to me about this. What started all of this? Why did we as a culture need to all be singular all of a sudden? I mean, was it just the internet and you realize that the world is just way bigger than we ever thought and so you need to, like, stand out in that sea of nothingness or is it something else? No, I don't think it's the internet. I think that we blame everything on the internet. You know what I mean? I think the internet um, the internet radicalizes this. The internet becomes the ultimate tool to, uh, like, turn it from three to, you know, 
10,000, you know, like in, in its volume. So I, I, I don't know that the internet ever breaks the ground in this as much as the internet um, kind of pushes it forward. I think, you know, we, we can't fall into traps that, that Taylor, Charles Taylor has told us not to fall into, which traps of, um, of uh, giving a subtraction story, of thinking there's one thing that did this. But I, I, you know, if we, we, if we start to have a, a line of how we got there and then start hanging things on that and uh, let it kind of zigzag back and forth, but I really do think it is what it means to live in this kind of neoliberal epoch where, um, where the, the way we even function at work becomes to see ourselves as our own little entrepreneurial project. That everything is like I, I think the way neoliberalism works is it strips away larger structures like unions um, and like just protections um, that companies give you, and it it turns that in on the self and it says we can't protect you but we can give you the space to be the creative juggernaut you are and don't you want that anyhow because if you could really cash in your creativity, you could be like one of those people that has spaceships that look like penises that go to outer space. Like you, you, you could make so much money and, and you can't even blame those people because they just simply cashed in on their creativity. And, and you should kind of feel bad that you haven't, you know? Um, so, you know, like Jeff Bezos looks at you and is like, yeah, you're fine. You know what I mean? Like you're fine. That, but you're, you're in the midst of a larger kind of uh, evaluative process. So, I just think that that real change of the way we work and the way we function in the world and then the way that that gets imposed to other institutional structures like educational ones um, and so on and so forth just leads us to having this deep sense that the self is, uh, is a project, that you have to self, even when you're not working, you're always kind of an entrepreneur. And then you do drop the internet into that and you do drop particularly like, I don't know what is it web 2.0 or whatever. You drop a, like a social media video video based like internet on that and all of a sudden now you are you do have an audience. Like you you have a legit audience. But you're li- you're literally like evaluating stuff by which direction you swipe or what button. Yeah, you a- to, absolutely. You know? yeah. Like like the way that the internet gets built in the early 2000s and you know by 2010 is is all in this kind of a evaluative measure you know like it, it just so we're, we're, we're evaluating things all the time which just creates in the craziest way just creates big data that people mine and then um yeah we're actually it feels like have at the core have less freedom because we're being sold to directly by the mining of our our data but it makes us feel like we have more and we can keep kind of pursuing this dream of singularity. And, um, I guess that's it. Like, that's why when I'm in this, um, grocery store in Kauai, I feel like the measures, the practices, uh, the dispositions of the internet world of constant evaluation come to the supermarket. You're fine. I'm not going to give you a thumbs down for this. Um, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to give a ranting tweet about how people don't look when they're when they're trying to pick out potato chips, you know, and they they run into you. Like I, I'm not I'm not going to do that. You're fine. Um, you're fine. So, being a person who works in the most basic of all institutions, the mainline 
American church, uh, what does that do to an institution? How, how does that bleed over to the way that we do what we do and the mission that we have? Well, I mean, you know, it's, uh, first of all, it's, it's living with the, the creeping awareness, the deep, the deep sense that you're going to be evaluated at every, every measure, you know, uh, or it, it, it's kind of, I think some sense and sometimes what it feels like to be a pastor and it feels like to be in ministry is that, um, you don't even meet the threshold of being evaluated. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like we're not significant enough to even like bother with it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, or the 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 real the real like inner sanctum of singular people are not really involved, or they're all going to Kanye's church or something like we're that. We're not relevant enough, you know. We talked about relevance before, right? But yeah. yeah, I mean, there is that kind of there is that kind of sense, but I think ultimately what it means in the, in the context of ministry is that. Uh, the people who are coming into our churches are are breathing this air, so they are looking at the congregation. They're looking at your preaching. They're evaluating it. But more than that, there's there's this kind of I think more what's more pressing, um, or maybe re- more directly at the surface in the context of ministry is that this is how these people are making sense of their own being in the world. You know that this deep c- kind of sense of evaluation. This is what's framing what a good life is. So there's there's the sense from the kind of denominational perspective or just the church institutional structure that the best churches, say, in a synod or in a presbytery or whatever judicatory becomes the most singular ones. I mean, that's what's fascinating. Like, you know, you go back to the 70s, um, the best churches were the ones that were most conforming to the denominational structure, using the denominational publisher, preaching like you were taught in seminary, doing all those things. Now the ones that are the dominant, uh, that people are jealous of or admire, are singular. Usually they don't even have the name of the denomination in their, their title, you know what I mean? They have the name of the, the, the part of the environment they destroyed to build their church, you know, like <laughs> Two Rivers Church or, you know. Oak Marsh or something like that, but um, yeah, so so that that impacts us. But when we, but even deeper when we think about just faith formation, that you're just dealing with a very different sense of the self, and um, and to me that becomes the ultimate kind of challenge. How do we think? How do we think transformation will occur? Well, if transformation occurs with singular selves, or where the highest good is to be singular then there'll be this necessity for the self to always broadcast and receive recognition for its magnificence, for being magnificent in some way. But I think at the core of the Christian story, and particularly, you know, the, the theological imagination that that captivates me when we kind of think of the centrality of the cross, there seems to be this movement, at least kind of a Pauline theology of the cross, that transformation, that being taken up into the spirit, is dependent on a confession of unmagnificence, that the self cannot perform in any way, um, that the self is in an environment uh, where it has a problem, that it needs something from outside of it to to meet it. And in this kind of drive towards singularity, there is this sense that salvation, particularly a kind of secular salvation that needs no inbreaking God, does not need the God of Israel, that salvation is just really finding your truest self, finding your best performance, finding someone to not only say you're fine, but um, you're you're fine. Like you're, that is a fine performance. You know, like that is something worth paying attention to. Um, yeah, so I think that becomes 
that becomes the, the real heart and challenge of ministry. Like, can the pastor speak again? Can the, can the pastor speak to her people, um, to their people about a, a kind of sense of uh, the necessity to confess and surrender that performance will never, performance will lead you to fall in on yourself and, uh, and turn in on yourself to, to think of kind of a, a, a Lutheran doctrine of sin. Um, and that you need you need to surrender to something outside you to save you. That that to me becomes a huge challenge because it feels like a moral violation, a moral violation that's so deep in our time that it stretches all the way to the way people talk about little social peculiarities and and social and social faux pas that happen in the supermarket. You're fine. The self is the proprietor of, and the performing self. The kind of judge of of uh, of everything, not this kind of sense that we're in this together. There's a sense, again, when they say you're fine, that there's a competition at play. That we're that there's there's a competition of evaluation of a drive towards singularity. When Church Stops Working, featuring Dr. Andy Root, is produced by me, Derek Transgard, and is brought to you by Baker Publishing. Andy has lots of great books out by Baker right now, including his brand new book, The Church After Innovation. You can find it right now on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. And again, a special thanks to Andrew Escada for the great question for today's podcast. If you liked our show, please give us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops Working.